Good morning. I know somebody's taking a nap today. Like, not hopefully not right now, but later this afternoon, you got, a, you got the rain, you got the post-turkey thing, so don't go to sleep on me just yet, but uh, today's the Sunday, the kind of Sunday that you'd want to take uh, one of those naps. Well, uh, as we get started today, we're finishing up our series today on the table, and uh, great week to conclude that as we head then into the Christmas season, but uh, here's the question I want to tee up for you. I want you to think about the most memorable meal, okay, that you've ever had. So the most memorable meal. Now, it could be the meal itself that was memorable, or it could be the events surrounding that meal, but what is a time, it might be a story that kind of goes like, you remember when, you know, and this is a story maybe you tell around your family, but you remember that meal when, all right? Um, Just share with somebody maybe around you, or just think about that moment, what is that uh, most memorable meal for you, it was that meal when dot, 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 okay? Uh, go ahead and uh, just share with somebody for just a minute. All right. So for some of you, maybe it was a moment that you were celebrating, a special moment, maybe it was a promotion, or maybe it was a proposal of some kind, or maybe it was just a meal that was really special because of who you were spending it with. Uh, Maybe it was that something interesting happened. I heard some laughs out there. I heard some, uh, some interactions. Some of you have those kinds of meals, and you have those kinds of families where eventful things happen. And uh, this is, as you've know by, about me by now, we, we have, for some reason we have a lot of these kind of uh, moments in our family, but the, the memorable, most memorable meal that I, I've ever had was the meal that my brother caught on fire. This is a true story. I promise you everything I'm about to tell you uh, will not be embellished at all. It's, it's a true story. And uh, I remember it was a Christmas Eve uh, night that we were having at my grandparents' house, and uh, their house was uh, this house in Delhi that they lived in um, their entire uh, adult lives. And so um, it, that, that we got bigger, that the house did not, so we're all crammed in this dining room as our family got bigger. And so it's one of those kind of meals where you're just around the table, and it's actually the way the setup of the dining room is, is like you, if you're on that side, you have to like ask everybody to stand up before you can get to your chair, like, yeah, I'm going to need all you to move, and then you kind of work your way in, you know. And so we're just packed in like this, right? Uh, I think that the... Uh, the fire marshal would probably shut us down, you know, and uh, it was just kind of that kind of moment, and um, we're all crammed in there, and before you knew it, like, I didn't, I don't even know how to take in all of what happened, except it just, I, I froze, like, I was, I was a kid at the time, but I hope it's, you know, no indication of what will happen in actual crisis, because I was just like, I couldn't even move. I was just like, this is insane. I can't believe this is actually happening. And so what happened was we're all into our seats. You know, we're crammed in. And, uh, you know, now the, the passing of the things kind of is happening. And um, now one mistake that I could, you know, foresee at now that I'm a parent is putting live flames on the table, you know, i.e. a candle. Like, it, my, there's no way with my kids I'm ever putting, and I, I appreciate the ambiance, I love the, the candle and kind of the, the, you know, the mood that it creates, but candles and kids is not a good combination, as we would learn. And uh, so it wasn't any rough housing, surprisingly, it was simply a move where my brother just reached out for some bread. And 
before I knew it, because apparently he was wearing a sweater that should have come with a warning label. And I was like, these sweaters, you know, they're the Christmas sweaters that, you know, mom probably made us wear so that we'd look all nice, but they're itchy, and they're, like, starchy, and, like, you almost can't move in them because they're so, like, stiff like this. And uh, my brother reached up his arm, and it should have come with a warning label that said, stay away from open flames. Because I think it was the opposite of, like, flame retardant. It was like an accelerant, because he just arm out, and all of a sudden, I just see an arm, like, his arm is on fire, and everyone's freaking out, but nobody can move, because we're all tripping, like, everyone's tripping over each other to, like, like, stuff's getting knocked over on the table. It was just a scene of complete chaos. My aunt actually took some wine that was in her glass and just threw it across the table like this. (laughs) Wine is flammable, okay? (laughs) It wasn't water, you know, and I, so I don't even know eventually how he got put out in the commotion because, again, I was just in my mind thinking, stop, drop, and roll. Like that, I, I wanted to tell him, but there was nowhere for him to go, and they finally patted him out, and uh, that's just one of those moments you never forget when your brother catches on fire. You don't, and I believe that the best meals create moments that become memories, We all have those, right? We all have those moments that have become memories, whether it be a funny uh, moment, whether it be a significant moment that we celebrate, that we look uh, back on. And the beauty of this series of the table is really just all that happens around the table as we come together. And that's what we've been celebrating over the last several weeks as we've talked about different table moments of Jesus and the significance of those moments and really what they teach us about living in the family of God, being at his table, uh, to use that illustration. Now, if you ask the disciples about the most memorable of all the meals, and all the ones that we've shared have truly been memorable moments surrounding meals, but the one that would have stuck out in their minds by far, it would have been a no-brainer, would have been the last meal that they shared with Jesus before his death. This moment, in that moment, they had no idea the significance of it yet. On the other side of this moment, Jesus would help them to have a moment that would become a lasting memory. In fact, that was his very intention. If you want to turn with me, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 14 through 20. Because what I want to do today is, this is something that we do together as the family of God here at Axis Church every single week. We come together around this meal that we're going to talk about today. And I think that when you do something often enough, if you're not careful it can become monotonous. But what I want to do today is I want to elevate the importance of this meal, the importance of the Last Supper, and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Our kids are with us today, which I'm excited about. Uh, I want you guys to engage on this, especially those of you that have made decisions to follow Jesus and now take communion. It's more than just a little snack, right, that we take during church, all right? It's a lot more than that. I want to talk to you guys about uh, what it really means and the importance of this meal. This meal is what N.T. Wright, the scholar, referred to as the Jesus meal. I love the simplicity of that idea that this was the Jesus meal. It is the Jesus meal. And so let's look at some of the functions of the Jesus meal and what it does for us as followers of Jesus. And the first thing is this, that it looks back in gratitude. It looks back in gratitude. So let's, let's look at this moment here for just a second, and we'll see how Jesus sets this as a memory in our minds. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus gives this command to us and to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. And so this meal, every time we gather together around this meal and we take this bread and we take this cup, we do it all in remembrance of him. And and the emotion that pours out of this moment is one of gratitude when we understand the weight of all that Jesus endured so that we could share in life with him. One of the ways this meal is primarily identified in various parts of Christianity is as the Eucharist. And this word Eucharist comes from the word Eucharisto in the Greek, which means thank you. And so this literally is the thank you meal. It's the meal of thanksgiving. It's where we come together to say thanks to God for all that he has done. Is where we remember Christ and specifically his death, which gave way to his resurrection and the victory that came with it. Jesus is saying to us, listen, never forget this moment right here. In fact, I want you to repeat this moment over and over again so it becomes not something monotonous, but so that it becomes a memorial. I want you to remember it. Never forget this moment. And something we do to remember moments that we don't ever want to forget is we what? We build a memorial. And many of you kids included have probably been to different memorials, right, across the U.S. or otherwise. Maybe you've been to the 9-11 memorial in New York City. Maybe you've been to the Pearl Harbor memorial in Hawaii. Maybe you've had the opportunity to stand out in the fields of Gettysburg. Or perhaps it's just that you've been to a private memorial of a loved one. And so we build these memorials so that we won't forget all that's happened before us. And interestingly, all of these memorials are tied to places, but what a beautiful expression that the most significant memorial in the history of the world is not a place. It's a meal. It's the Lord's Supper. It's a meal, and Jesus says with this meal, this meal is our memorial where each week we look back and simply say, thanks be to God. And it's interesting that the one who institutes this meal It's who John refers to when he sees him walking up. Behold, as we just sung, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb. Jesus would give his life for you and for me. And so we remember that sacrifice as we gather around this meal with thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 reminds us of of this moment with Jesus, for it says, When I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For what, whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, in this moment, they would have had no idea the symbolism that Jesus was prophesying would happen. 
that his body would be broken, his blood would be poured out. And Jesus, in advance, he institutes what would become his lasting memorial. Hebrews 13, 5 through 16, or 15 through 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. So the first thing that this meal does is it does that very thing, that it allows us to look back with gratitude. The second thing that it does is it soaks in with cleansing. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Through the death of Jesus, we have been set free from sin. We are able to experience a, a, a cleansing that can actually cleanse us in a way that makes us whole. We have, uh, I, I, it's interesting because for a, a good period of time at our house, we had this, our kids did especially, although Jess probably would say I, I did too. We, we had, um, and I don't know if you guys have this at your house too, but we had at least to our knowledge, we had these, Floors that were magic. It's true. We had magic floors. And uh, what would happen is the kids, the boys in particular, they would drop things on these magic floors, like just all over the place, especially their clothes in particular. And uh, their clothes, dirty clothes, clothes that we have at home of boys, so stomping around in mud, all this stuff. Like these clothes could just get dropped anywhere on our magic floors. And then all of a sudden, we would go back to our dressers. We would open up our dressers, and all of these clothes that we had dropped on these magic floors would be folded and clean in our dressers. I'm, I'm not kidding you. This was like actually happening, and we were like so perplexed by it all. And then we found out we also had a, like a magic sink and even a magic table where we could just leave all of our dishes on this magic table or just drop them maybe if we got that far into the magic sink. And all of a sudden, these we could just go back to the drawers and we could pull out, and there was a fresh dish or a fresh... Do you guys, any of you kids have these floors or these sinks that you're, at some point, um, Jess notified us that our floors weren't actually magic, and uh, our sink wasn't actually magic. All this time, she had been doing it. Can you believe that? Like, she had been taking the clothes and washing them and putting them back in our drawers, and so much to our dismay and disappointment, and she pointed this out to us so that we could participate in actually getting those clothes where they need to go and being a part of the cleaning that, that came along with it. Now, I think if we're not careful, we sort of have been around this a long, a long time. You know, you've, you've been around church a long time. You've taken this meal enough, and you sort of, like, you just assume it just kind of happens, right? Like, I mean, it just, it just kind of happens. My healing just kind of happens. My cleansing just kind of happens. But if we're not careful, we forget the person through whom this cleansing comes, the person through whom this healing comes. And there is a mystery to it. There is a magic to it. But there is a very clear instance where Jesus laid down his life for us. He sacrificed so that we could be cleansed. And it is here at the table of the Lord's Supper that we remember that it is by his stripes we are healed. Anyone remember what happened just before Jesus shared this last meal with his disciples? I think it's significant. In John, we read, 
that Jesus washed their feet. Before he broke this bread, before he poured out this wine, he did something else significant, and that is that he grabbed the towel. Don't miss this, because this is what separates our belief in Christ from any other belief system. Here it is not man who works tirelessly to bring about his own cleansing, to make amends, to justify himself before God. It is God himself who gets his own hands dirty. He takes upon his own shoulders the weight of evil and sin and shame. It is God who takes the form, not of an inaccessible ruler of the world. Instead, he, makes, he takes on the form of the meek servant of the world. It's a beautiful thing. God himself removed his crown of royalty and picked up a towel of servitude. And to to Peter specifically, he's like, I'm going to wash your feet. You know what Peter says? You're not washing my feet. I know who you are. You're the king of the universe. There's no way. You cannot stoop so low as to wash my feet. And listen to Jesus' response. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The Jesus meal seeps in with cleansing. May we respond with the enthusiasm of Peter, who then says, all right then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus corrected him theologically after that, but the point is, he was enthusiastic. He's like, just, just cleanse me all over. If this is what allows me to have my share in you, and this is what we're reminded of as we come to the table, is that our cleansing comes through the power of the cross. So our cleansing comes through the power of the cross, that this is another function of the table, that it seeps in with cleansing. It also draws together in unity. We often call it holy communion, because we commune with God, most certainly, but it's called communion because it's a communal meal. It's from the Greek word koinonia, the sharing. It's not unintentional then that Jesus makes this a shared meal, that he shares in this meal with his closest friends. And it's interesting that it's a meal, something so human, universal to every people, place, and time. Eating together never goes out of style. It is an essential part of life, as it is at the spiritual table when we gather for the Jesus meal. Frederick Buchner writes this. He says, To eat this particular meal together is to meet at the level of our most basic humanness, which involves our need not just for food, but for each other. I need you to help fill my emptiness just as you need me to help fill yours. As for the emptiness that's still left over while we're in it together, or it and us. Maybe it's the most Maybe it's most of what makes us human and makes us brothers and sisters. The next time that you walk down the street, take a look at every face you pass and in your mind say, Christ died for thee. That girl, that slob, that phony, that crook, that saint, that darn fool, Christ died for thee. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee. And I love that reminder. In every place, in every uh, face, we see that Christ died for thee. And it's so easy, isn't it, today to see all that divides us? I mean, walk into any room, but even within the body of Christ, it's so easy to think about and to see all that divides us. But God's table unites us. 
The table, the Jesus meal that we share together each week is a reminder of what Paul says. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. So the Jesus meal draws us together in unity. The Jesus meal points us forward in hope. Remember what he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he comes. I like what N.C. Wright has to say here as well. He says that the present moment, whenever, somehow holds together the one-off past event, the Lord's death, and the great future when God's world will be remade under Jesus' loving rule until he comes. Past and future come rushing together into the present, pouring an ocean of meaning into the little bottle of now. A less sophisticated way to say it is, when we eat this meal, we bring the past moment of Christ's death into the present reality while anticipating the promised future. In that way, the Jesus meal we take today keeps orienting us toward our eternal tomorrow. I heard of this small country church in Wisconsin that had this special tradition that they've they closed their communion services for a number of years, and it's adapted from an ancient Jewish uh, closing of the Passover meal. Since it is the hope of every devout Jew to celebrate the Passover at least once in David's city, the Jewish custom is to end the meal with a toast. Passover participants raise the cup and say, next year in Jerusalem. The cup and the Lord's Supper, Supper serves as two reminders. We are to look back to the shed blood of Christ and forward to the second coming. In other words, for all Christians, there will be a last sharing of the bread and cup on this side of eternity. When they meet once again, they will be in Christ's presence. And so at the close of the communion service, what they would do in this small country church is they would, the members would raise their cups in anticipation and say, next time with Christ, next time with Christ. And so this meal that we take as we break the bread and as we Drink the juice is a reminder to us. It points us toward the promised future that is found in Christ. The last idea is this, that this meal that we share together today flows over in love. Another fun fact, the modern word for mass comes from the Latin, ite missa est. When mass was in Latin, the priest would end it by saying ite missa est, which means go, the mass has ended. Itta means go, and missa means to be dismissed. This is where we get the word mass. So in, in the Roman tradition and other traditions, the priest has four options uh, for the dismissal of the people after the final blessing. They all begin with the word go. Go, go forth, the mass is ended. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. But the last one I love the most, hope you brought a rain jacket. That's not what it is. The last I love the most is this, go in peace glorifying the Lord with your life. This isn't just a task on a long list of tasks for us as Christians. This is the task. This is why we exist on planet Earth is that we might not just stay here and be filled with the things of God, but that we might go in his peace glorifying the Lord with our life. 
So my question is, as we conclude today, whom will you go? Where will you go? Missiologist David Bosch, he, he talks about mission, our mission in this way. He says, mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. We often get it backward. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people since God, and I love this, is a fountain of sending love. God is a fountain of sending love. I love that imagery. I want to give you one more image, and kids, maybe you can relate to this one as we think about really our role and our place as we receive from God what we do from there. Uh, how many of you guys have been to Kings Island? Adults, you can raise your hand too. Okay, I hope so. If not, you need to make that a priority. Um, it's right over there. Um, but going to Kings Island, we, with our younger kids especially, we'd often go to the water park. That was like our favorite place. And there's one spot in particular in the water park that is the place where like everybody comes together, everybody joins. Like, and, and there's this little buzzer that goes off when it's time to gather, and that's at the bucket. The big bucket that fills up, and what it does is it fills and fills and fills, and you're just sitting there waiting. Like, there's about to be this gush of water just dropping down on everyone's head. And so you watch it fill, and you watch it as it starts to kind of tilt until it just overflows onto everybody, and you're just like overwhelmed with this powerful force of water. And I think this is a great picture of what we're talking about here, that God is a fountain of sending love. Each of us expresses this differently, but it's our job to receive God's love, to take in God's love, not so that we can just be, you know, a lake that, that gathers it, but so we can be this bucket that pours it out. And so in every place that you go and every person that you encounter, you have this opportunity to, as those that have been freely received God's love, his joy, his peace, to flow out into the lives of those around you. So, what does that look like for you? Each of us is a fountain of God's love flowing into a world that's thirsty for it. If you look around, there's a lot of thirsty people, thirsty for God's love. There's people in our communities, there's people in our families, and we get the unique privilege and opportunity of being this vessel through which God delivers his unconditional love. I love what it says in Ephesians here. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, and then we're going to do something special to conclude together um, as we take the Lord's meal together. And we've looked at this not too long ago, but it says this, I pray that the eyes of, our, of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Now there's a subtlety there. God fills everything in every way. How does he do it? Through the church, through us. As we go into the corners of society, as we go out into everyday places and spend time with everyday people, we get to be 
that fountain of sending love, we get to, as God pours into us, flow over into the lives of those around us. Friends, this is more than a meal. It's a memorial. The best meals create moments which become memories. So we're going to take some time together uh, to share this meal together. And um, as these guys come forward to pass out communion, which you guys can go ahead and do, hang on to that bread, hang on to that juice. We're going to take it in a special way. We're going to take it all at the same time uh, together. I'm just going to pray for us as they're uh, handing that out. So again, just hang on to that as we share in this time together. God, we thank you so much for the thing that binds us together as a body. Your broken body, your shed blood. God, fill us with gratitude. May we never forget the cost. May we never take it for granted. We just ask, God, that you would help us to continue to look forward, God, to all that you have in store for us as we get kind of hung up on the present moments and all that's going on in the world around us, God. Just shift our eyes, God, to what's out in front of us because of what you have done. God, we look forward to meeting with you in this moment, God. We invite your spirit to rest on us as we come into the very presence of God in this moment. How good it is, God, just to be in your presence, to be among your people, to be sharing this meal together. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just hang on to that bread and that juice for just a second. And for some of you, as what we're about to do might be new, for some of you, your tradition um, involves some different liturgy or uh, response. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read what's in white, and I, as the body of Christ, we're going to respond with what's in blue. And, um, and we're going to take communion as we kind of walk through that. And so let's just take a few moments as one people sharing this meal together, not just in this place, but across the world this morning. First, we look back with gratitude the sacrificial moment, God, you gave your life for us. Thank you, God. Next, we turn inward, asking you to search us and to cleanse us of our sin through the cleansing that comes from the cross alone. And so you can take that bread in your hand now. And as you take that bread in your hand, we now remember your body, Christ that was broken for us, we do this in remembrance of you. Take the bread now. Now taking the cup of juice in memory of the blood that was spilled out for us, we do this in remembrance of you. We recall your prayer, O God, for your disciples that they may be one as you are one. It is your death and life that allows us to share this meal as one people united in Christ. So we ask you. And as we look forward to the promise that awaits us, captured in Romans 15, 13, may the God of peace fill you 
with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, fill us as we anxiously await the promise. Now, brothers and sisters, with glad hearts, a cleansed spirit, as one people anxiously awaiting the promise of God, I charge you as those filled with love to pour out in love 